John chapter 3, verse 8. But the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So Spirit, we come again to your inspired word. We ask that you take this word, press it down into our hearts and shape us by it and mold us into being more like you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. John 3.16, very familiar, very common passage, of course. We thought about that some last week. You know, if someone was to undertake a study of, of the Bible, that one of the places is to go to John 3.16 and, and just think on and study on each one of those words. That's a fantastic study to do because there are so many words in, in that passage for God and loved and world and gave and son and uh, believes, perish, eternal life. Those are all very important themes in Scripture, of course. So that's a very good place to be. And we overlook that sometimes because it's one of the first verses we memorize, we think of, and so we tend to neglect it and then maybe go on to some, some other areas. So very important, but very well known, of course, for God so loved the world. I started at verse 8 this week just to, to connect from, from what we thought about last week. How, how God's role in regeneration or being born again. Very, very important concept. A very, very important concept to understand and see God's role in being born again. God's role in regeneration. And I started here at verse 8. I just read it again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
And what we learn from this passage is that the Spirit, or this, this being born again, this being born from above, cannot be controlled and it cannot be predicted. And that is so important, isn't it? It, it, it can't be controlled or can't be predicted. We don't know the, the, the who or the why or the where, uh, the when. We, we don't know that. And it couldn't be more explicit than in verse 8. That's what's, what's being said there. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from. We harness the wind by windmills today and very other, uh, various other means. But we don't know when the wind's going to blow and not. It may blow tomorrow. It may blow this afternoon. And we may predict it. The weather people may predict it. But we don't know. And the point that Jesus is making here is that the, the, the work of the Spirit cannot be manipulated. It cannot be manipulated. There, there's things that we can do to honor God and there are things we can do to testify for God we never know when God's going to show up, and He'll show up at the most surprising time. So very important for to have that, that connection. But today, now we, we see a different side of uh, really the same coin. Don't want to lose that part. God's work, God's sovereign work. But also, we have a responsibility. So sometimes... Uh, People, well-meaning people, of course, fall off into extremes on either side. It's all me. It's all what I have done. All what I have decided to do. And, and then it's, it all rests on the person or the person delivering the message. Or it gets over way over on the other side. Well, it's all God. That is true. And so I'll, I just won't do anything. What difference does it make anyway? And, and, and that's not the picture that John is teaching us. Here, what we're going to see with John, he starts out and says, this thing, this eternal life, this regeneration of the soul, this being born from above, this being born from again, that is God. No one is born with an inclination to, to, to um, uh, come to God and live their life and think in a way that is favorable towards God. We're in hostility towards God. And, and for that to reverse, for that to change, something must happen in our hearts that it enables us to respond in a way that would please God and bring eternal life. Just to review, touching on some for, from last week. For God so loved the world. Now in this passage, there's some interesting details I'd like to highlight, bring to your attention, then we'll look at some bigger themes uh, from it. But as we go down through the passage, a couple of things really stand out. Really stand out. I think that, are, that have been very meaningful for me, perhaps would be for you too. Some details in the passage. Uh, one being that, that theme that we already sang about in verse 18, the name. The name. We'll think more about this in a few moments, but the name. Uh, he, he says that these, these people, whoever they are, are condemned already in verse 18 because they've not believed in the name the name of the only son of God so it would really be important for us to know about that name and we won't rehash that because we've gone through it before and also we won't rehash all of John 3:16 because we've gone through John 3:16 and done a breakdown on that in the past and so we won't get into all all of that although it would be a very good study to do personally here's what I want to point out a couple things we start off in verse 14. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now here we go into verse 16. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now here's the detail that's really important, I think. Um, when the word in, the two-letter word in is used in verse 14, it lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. I'm just going to call that a two-letter word in the original, okay, in, in the Greek. That's a two-letter word. And when we go to ver verse 16, whoever believes in him, that's a three-letter word. That doesn't seem like much of a difference, a two-letter or a three-letter word in the original. When it comes into English, we just have I and N, in. But we really don't pick up the flavor of it that I think is very, very helpful. So I'm just going to call it the two-letter the two word in the original and the three-letter. So the two-letter word means to come and rest. I, I, I'm resting in. I'm resting in Jesus. I, I, that, I'm, I'm located. I'm resting here. I'm in, I'm in His sphere. In. Two-letter word. But when he writes, when John writes, for God so loved the world, that section of verse 16, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, that's the three-letter word. Now what's the difference? As I mentioned a moment ago, in can mean rest, to rest, to be settled. I'm settled here. I'm in Jesus. Three-letter word means motion or movement. Now you see the distinction? Motion or movement. They mean I'm in in the believing in the name of the Son of God means to move into to have motion into the name of the only Son of God. Very powerful, as I hope you see here in in a few moments. So we go down. Yeah, I mentioned in verse 14, in. The wilderness. They were in rest. That, that was a place of position, a place of location. They were in the wilderness. Whoever believes in Him should not perish. Whoever whoever believes their movement, their life is moving into into some place. Verse seventeen. For God did not send His Son into. There you see it. Into. That's the motion. That's the three-letter word. Into. He sent He sent His Son into. The, the world. It's, it's the location. He's, he's, he's on high, but he's moving into. That's the three-letter word. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him. Three-letter word. Moving in. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in. Three-letter word. Verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into, they're the word in English, they're actually using into, the motion, that carries the idea of motion. Moving into, the light of the world has come into the world. Finishes this whole section, verse 21, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out 
in God, two-letter word. His works have been carried out in God. His, his works have been carried out in the location, in the domain of God, in that place. As opposed to that place of the kingdoms of the world, whatever kingdoms a person would adopt, all of them counter to God. But rather than that place, here in this place. So why the detail? Not just so that we can say we went into some detail. I hope you know that. I hope you know that I think it's important for me, I hope for you, to capture the idea of motion, movement. And it's continual. It doesn't just happen. The, 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 the person, the, at the moment a person is converted, they've moved into Christ. No, there's this continual movement in our life. So, it says in, in 3.16, So God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever has this movement in their life into Him, moves into Him, they'll, they will not perish. They'll have eternal life. It's not a static just sitting somewhere and believing in some things. It's, it's this life is involved in this. There's this movement. There's this direction towards Jesus Christ. In all of our life, it's moving. It's just not capturing details. It's just not capturing philosophical facts. Those are important. Not capturing theological dogma. That's important. But it's this movement of our life. That's what you and I want. That's what we want for our life is to, to move, move into Jesus. Move believing in His name. Moving into the name of Jesus. For me, it just changes my my whole concept, my whole view of John 3.16. It's just not whoever believes in Him in a static set of, like I say, facts. Those are important, of course. But there's this ongoing movement in a person's life. So I think that's just very helpful. I hope this is for you. So God so loved the world. So the Spirit, as we have on in your listening guide, number one, cannot be controlled. Cannot be controlled. Moves. Sovereignly moves. Second thing we see is this word world. We've already thought about the world in messages past in Luke and in other places. John uses the word world, cosmos, to mean all, all that is in opposition to God, which is the whole world. The whole world is in opposition to God. The array, the structures in the world that, that you and I operate, live, and are born into, and live in, they're, they're in opposition to the principles of God, the will of God, the character of God, the love of God. They're in opposition to that. Of course, you see that every day. But the, the, world, the world, He came. So when we think of the word that way, God so loved the world. He so loved all of us in hostility against God. He so loved those that the scriptures say that unconverted human beings are enemies of God. He so loved the world that He gave His only unique, one and only, or begotten. Several different words there used in different translations, but He gave Jesus. So loved the world. So sacrificially loved all of us who were in opposition to to God. Shows us the magnitude of God's love. The, the, the magnitude of God's care. The, the magnitude of God's concern. Now, 
as we know, and you likely have uh, remembered, the word love here is agape, the agape kind of love, the self-giving, self-sacrificing kind of love. Husbands are called to love our wives in that way, in a self-sacrificing, self-giving way in Ephesians. Self-giving kind of love. Now, now here's what's two things very radical about what John is saying here. God is coming with a self-giving, self-sacrificing kind of love, kind of a way, kind of an attitude, an attitude carried with his practice, his, his, his way of interacting to those that are so hostile, such hostility to him. So that's one thing that captures our attention here. But the other one we have to remember is where Nicodemus would have been. Remember last week we thought about Nicodemus being that John calls him, you know, in this writing, or Jesus actually called him, the teacher of Israel. Nicodemus has all that it means to be a Jew. And in the Jewish mindset, of course God loves Jews. Of course God loves Israel. That, that's not a problem. And God may, may love those who convert into Judaism. There was a process for that in ancient Judaism. Of course, but not Gentiles. No. Those people over there in South Asia, no. Those people over there in South America, we call South Africa, no. That's the worldview then. They, they, their lineage, their heritage, their race, their ancestor, of course, of course, God loves us. And John comes along, Jesus, under the inspiration of the Spirit, for God so loved the world, the cosmos. Can you imagine how mind-blowing that would have been for Nicodemus, for the Jews? That, that would have just blown their mind. I don't know what we, example we could even use today. Something that would just totally wipe out their whole worldview, what they had built their whole life on. What? He loves the whole world, not just our people? That's, that's totally, totally radical. That He gave His only Son, whoever believes, believes in, believing into the name, the name of, of Jesus. So we can already see some big, major themes here. So, the world already stands condemned. Now, does that find, do you find that shocking? I find it very shocking. We don't find it shocking sometimes because we've read it so many times. Now, from our standpoint, we've read John 3 so many times and looked at it so It's not shocking anymore. But look, look what he says in verse 18. Whoever believes in, that's the into, the three-letter word, whoever believes into him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. That's earth-shaking. Uh, that's just what the, the word is there. Already condemned. The whole entire world, every person on this planet that has ever been on this planet except for Jesus 
is condemned already. He says, because he has not believed, really not believed in God, not believed into, into the name of the only Son of God. There's a, people are, are concerned, and so are we. We want to know about, well, what's this final judgment that, that God would have in place? That's a good thing to study. But here, here's the shocking thing. You just read with your, your, your own eyes here. The whole world is already condemned. That is another one of the crisis situations that the Apostle John brings into our life. Hallelujah for Jesus. But me, Mark, prior to coming to faith in Jesus Christ, condemned, didn't know it, condemned under the judgment, there it is, under the judgment of God. What's Jesus saving you from anyway? Have you thought about what Jesus is saving you from? That. He's not saving you so you can have a recipe for three ideas so you can have a better week. That may come, the working of the Holy Spirit in our life. He's saving you, I'm just reading, verse 18. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. So that's why you have good news. You and I, everyone that's not under Jesus Christ, the banner of Jesus Christ. Everyone that's not there, you have really good news because that person, we human beings, need to get out from under that already condemned. That is the gospel, by the way. Yes, Jesus is divine, Jesus is human, rose from the grave, lived a perfect life, substitutionary atonement, imputed righteousness, yes, all of that. Jesus comes to save. Jesus saves. You can see the banner flying over the city. Jesus saves from what? The eternal wrath, judgment of God that is already in place. That's really bad news. That's the kind of news that, that you, you can't really sit still with. Makes you feel hot inside. Yes, that's really bad news. But Christians, you, brother, have the good news that Jesus comes along and provides the only way out of that crisis. The whole world is already condemned. Romans 1.18. 1.18. I think in your listening guide, there's a typo there. Didn't get the chapter 1 in there under item number 2. Romans 8.1 and then Romans 1.18. Listen to what it says. The Apostle Paul. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God has already been revealed, but we just deny it. Human beings, we, we, don't, we don't want to have anything to do with that. That is the good news. There are certainly many other benefits for having the indwelling spirit in our, our life coming to Christ. That's the gospel. God so loved the world. So loved the world. I read 1 John out on the patio earlier, but listen to what the apostle says in chapter 2 of his letter. Do not love the world or the things in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, and that's speaking of pride in our possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Not because of their works, but that's, that shows that the work of God is actually in Him. That passage is interesting too in the context of this John 3, 16. Remember that, that agape love? The same man writing, the apostle John writing, do not love the world. That's a, that's a, that's a like kind word, agape. Self-serving, self-sacrificing, pouring out one's life for the world, for that which is in opposition to God. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves, that's the same word, agape. If anyone pours out their life, self-sacrifice, it's the same word that we look at with God. God so loved the world. Oh, isn't that wonderful? He's a loving God. Same word. Do not love. Do not love the world in this way. Love God this way, but don't love the world. It's a caution. It's a caution. Don't love in that way. So anyway, the world already stands condemned. So, biblical trust, personal movement, I've stressed it already, into the name, into the name of the eternal Son of God. All Moving into the name, as I mentioned, the character of God. What do we mean by that? The, these words that I just mentioned, the deity, moving into the belief that He is God. He is fully human. He actually hung on that cross and, and it was sacrificed for your sin. For my sin, believing that. By the way, do you believe that without Jesus you're already condemned? A little too hot to handle? That's what He came to save you from. So loved the world, He gave His only. Son. So we have this trust, this name, this eternal moving into this motion all of our life, wherever we are, we're all in different places. No, no, it's, not a, it's not everyone in the same place. We're all in different places in, in our walk of, of faith. But it's just this movement. You like, you can call it sanctification. But there's this movement into the name of Jesus Christ. This biblical trust. Now, what when we think about moving into, the Apostle Paul will write it in, in this kind of a way. He'll say, put on the Lord Jesus. In Romans chapter 13, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So for, for Paul, the way he's, the way he's explaining the same concept is actually putting on Christ. Movement into Christ. Putting on Christ. Romans 13, 14 in the NIV. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't think about that. Come to, to Jesus moving into uh, and moving into it and putting on Jesus. What do we do when we come to Jesus? We're, we're coming into, we have that motion 
into Him for what? For the forgiveness of sins and that He'll care for you and, and that your future is very, very bright. You're moving into that, that belief that what, whatever sin has taken place in the past and actually the character of ourselves in our natural state, being, it's a state of being, being sinners, being forgiven of that, God caring for us, but your future, future joy, happiness, whatever word you want to attach to it, but Jesus is taking care of all of that, coming into that belief. So, as I mentioned, Nicodemus would have been shocked, completely shocked to hear that. And, and his uh, friends, other Pharisees and other religious leaders are there around him. And Jesus, he does use that plural word, you, so others are there around Nicodemus. You don't understand, Jesus is, is saying. But what we see is this whoever believes, whoever believes, so, so important. I know you uh, have locked in on that in the past. Whoever, be, whoever believes. He gave His only Son that whoever, whoever believes. Again, carrying the idea that no matter where that person is in the world, whoever believes, actually believes. But what I want us to really capture here, as you have in your listening guide and on the screen, is the personal responsibility that we have. That's where last week's message and this one comes together. That yes, God works sovereignly in a way we don't understand in the, the, the election of God. We don't know how His mind works. I can't say, well, that guy running along at the, in the street out there, that he's one of God's. Or I can't say, oh, she'll come to the Lord in three years and six months. We don't know that. I know you know that. But my example here is we can't, we don't have, we have no idea who's going to come to the Lord and when they're going to come to the Lord. But we do know this they have a personal responsibility to respond favorably to Jesus. Both of those truths run together. So very important. So very, 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 very important. We can't understand the nature of God and the nature of who we are if we don't see God as being sovereign in all aspects of salvation. But at the same time, sounds contradictory, but it's not. Same time, individuals, you and I, have a personal responsibility to make that decision for Jesus Christ. Because someone says, well, I thought that was me that made that decision. Well, it was you. <laughs> it wasn't Nicodemus. It, it, it wasn't George Washington that made it for well, you did it. That was a, a, your willing choice. God created you and I in that way. That was your willing choice. But God's always a part of that. People think about their own personal freedom. There is, there is no true freedom apart from the sovereignty of God. Apart from the sovereignty, the sovereign will and decree of God, including who will respond and who will not respond. That's, that's something they have to wrestle with. We all have to wrestle with it, but would you like it the other way? Would you like total freedom? You have anarchy, chaos, 
every person doing what is right in their own eyes without God's governance. Personal responsibility, who, and that is so very, very important. So this trust, this belief, it, it involves some things. First, it involves the agreement with uh, some facts. Of course, there are some facts. Anytime we believe something, that, that first we have to recognize that there are some facts that are involved. As I've already said, that recognizing that the wrath of God is an issue in the, in the gospel presentation, but that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God's anointed. That there, there is this eternal conscious existence. We have to have this, these facts that is totally by God's grace, His sovereign grace, and not of our works, not of our own doing. He has given us by His grace this eternal salvation, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. These facts, this agreement with these facts. Many of you realize that, of course, but beyond that, there's the conviction that they're your facts. <laughs> they're my facts. See, I can, I, can, I can believe some facts about something. I can believe some facts about Buddhism. Well, they're not my facts. My ownership of those facts. And so there's facts that a person needs to be exposed to in, in the faith. Of course, these, these very important facts. That's what you do when you witness. You're giving some facts. A person adopts them as their own. And they're recognizing, importantly, critically importantly, that they do, in fact, need a Savior. <laughs> that they do, in fact, need someone to save them out of this dire situation. They need someone to fix their life in some certain way. Of course, yeah, that's wonderful. But this is the dire situation. So there's this conviction. And then there's, there's this willingness to adopt, to adopt a different framework. Or we could say lifestyle. This different framework for life. It was a willingness to, to live under the authority, as the banner says, under the lordship of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Living under His authority. Living under His dominion. It's a different framework of living. See, I can, I can acknowledge there's some facts. I cannot be convicted about that. I, I could be under conviction, but not. Oh, that's just some reality, some facts that are there, but they're not my facts. But then I could say, well, they're my facts. I really do believe those facts. But then I do nothing experientially in my life that would demonstrate that they are my facts. And what transformation is in the Bible is... It is adopting and bringing into our life under the inspiration of the Spirit, God working in our life, but it's a new framework, a new attitude, new vision for life. So these play, these, this Christ-centered trust, if we don't have these, then who are we believing in? Number one, if you don't have the facts, well, who is it? The name of Jesus. What, what does that mean? There's a lot of people in the ancient world named Jesus. There's a lot of people today named Jesus in different dialects. What does that mean? There's other sections. But what does it mean not to, to have any conviction, to live, to stand for Jesus and, and what He teaches and who He represents? We're all growing in that. But then, what, is it, what does it mean? Okay, I'm under conviction. Am I in agreement? Am I willing for my life to change? Wouldn't that be important to Jesus? For my life to change some, in some way, 
I'm under conviction of the truths of the teachings of Jesus and who He is and what the Word of God is. Well, wouldn't it stand to reason that my life would change because of my conviction? Look, in any other aspect of life, your, whatever your, your convictions are, your life changes because of it, right? You're, you, you believe this sports team is the greatest sports team in town. Well, you're, you're, you adopt a new framework. You go to the rally. <laughs> Wave the flag. Yeah, you, you're, you're, your life changes. But we're, we're talking about something so much more important than that. But people, people say, well, no, I don't really need a framework. I agree with these facts, but this, this framework, what are you talking about? This framework, I don't understand this, this. What is this? Well, that's why we study and that's why we learn about who Jesus is. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 to 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 to verse 17. I want, to, I want to tell you something. You may remember that for me personally in my life, I, I came, there was a point in my life, I came to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. A lot of people know it was verse 17. Whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. Praise God for that. But what about verse 15? I could not, I could not break free of it. And here it is. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Oh. The Holy Spirit took that verse and got on me. Now, He may take another verse for you in your life. I'm just telling you what personally happened in my life. Obviously, He doesn't mean universal salvation here because we all know that not everyone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, even in the days of Jesus. But He died for all, all this, this world, all kinds of people. That those who live, might no longer live for themselves. Now that's the Bible. That's just the Bible. I read that and I, I, I just thought about my, I was living for myself. I wasn't living for God. But that's what it says. Two verses prior to being a new creation in Christ, and I surely grabbed a hold of that one. I needed to be a new creation in Jesus Christ. I needed that. Therefore, anyone, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is really, really good news. The new has come. But two verses prior, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer, no longer, live for themselves but for him who for their sake for their sake is for the ones who lived those do you think that are you the one one of the ones who lived or are living for their sake died and was raised no longer living for ourselves no matter what avenue of life we might be in god took me a certain way he might he certainly will take you in a different way but it's living in our, the way we talk, if that's an issue, go to James. James will have a lot to say about the way we use our tongue. It, 
the way we talk, the way we think, the way we present ourselves, the way we act, not, not to please the church, not to please the preacher. Not, it's, it's because to please God. And if we're saying we believe in God, there's some facts, there's some convictions, and there's some framework. There's some framework living in the kingdom of light. Living in that kingdom. So, this is the problem. The judgment. The judgment basis I have in your listening guide. The judgment basis. What is the basis? What about this judgment? I don't want to hear about that. This is 2021. Can we move beyond that? Well, I don't know. You can if you don't want Jesus. But that's central to who Jesus is. Judgment basis. Willful rejection of God's <laughs> disruptive interruption. That's why we, in our natural state, we don't want God, we don't want Jesus. We're fearful people. We're, we are fearful that God's going to come along and He's going to interrupt. I have a book in my library, the title of it is called When God Interrupts. That's a great title for a book, When God Interrupts, because that's what God does. Jesus doesn't come into our life. God doesn't come into our life <laughs> and not interrupt a few things. That's the framework I'm talking about. He interrupts. Oh, God's not interrupted anything? That's what He does. Oh. I think it's really interesting how these other translations... Uh, of the Bible. They're in English. Just listen to these in the New English translation of, of verse nine, 19. Now this is the basis for judging. See in the, in the ESV it just says and this is the judgment. But what that means is this is the basis. This is the basis for God's judgment. In the, in the New Century version they are judged by this fact. And then John's going to lay out the fact. We could say, this is how judgment works. This is the reason for God's judging. In the Amplified Bible, it says, this is the judgment, that is, the cause for indictment, the test by which people are judged, the basis for the sentence. That's, that's what that means. It's the basis for this and what is this, this, this basis? Well, it's a willful, it's willful rejection of the light. Isn't that what is said in, in verse 19? And this is, I'll just insert the word there, basis. This is the basis for the judgment. The light is coming into, there's that three-letter word, it's coming to the world, and people love, that's the same intensity, the agape. They, they, they've been passionate about the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Oh, that's a hard word to get over. That's a hard word to get over, well, for me anyway. Can you imagine yourself, just think of yourself, your works were evil. So what does that mean? That means in opposition to God's purposes and God's plan. God, in other words, we could say, not, God's not even in the picture. Whatever our plans are for our life, God's not in it. 
God's not in the plan, and so therefore we're adopting some worldview that is out here floating in the world that whatever it is, how, how righteous we may think it is or how unrighteous it is, we, we, it's in opposition to the framework, the worldview that God has. And so the, the, this, this idea of, of, of the divine interruption being that basis, habitual ungodly thinking 19 that judgment the light is coming to the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil i had to come to think about that again how can that be isn't satan supposed to be evil gosh aren't the demons supposed to be evil and then i realized no mark no your your, your attitudes your the way you talk the way the way you think about things the way you see things is all about you and god's not in the picture even though you claim god's in the picture is not god is not in the picture rather than, than the light because their works were evil 20 for everyone who does wicked things <laughs> wicked things hates the light because they do not come to the light lest his works should be exposed but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that they may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in, there's the two-letter word, in God. So those, as I've tried to stress, that word evil, those are activities, those are works that are in active opposition against God. Now, we don't think that. But that's what God says. Now, this, this, this word wicked things, well, that just that's meaning... Worthless things. Because if they're, not, if, if they're not contributing to the direction of God's plan and His working in the world, then they're really worthless in the end. Now that's a hard truth. John's full of hard truth. That's a hard truth to accept. But they're really, well, it just says work wicked things. They're, they're just opposed to God. And in the end, they just didn't, amount to what we had hoped that they would. Listen to the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 1, 18 through 22. Some of you in the day and age we live in have probably spent quite a bit of time in Romans 1, studying Romans 1 and the, the flow of that passage. I'll read just a few verses. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed, the apostles could not be more clear. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Thank you, sister. Without excuse from the Word of God. That's why the whole world already can be under the condemnation of God because they're without excuse. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they, they, they claimed to know God, they knew God. They didn't honor Him as God. They didn't give thanks to Him. Lip service to God. They didn't honor Him with their framework, with their convictions. Although they... They claimed, although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. They became futile in their thinking and their, in their, fu 
foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Those, this, so we'll move on, but that's such an important passage. Without excuse, foolish hearts darkened. You're living it. This supernatural wonder of conversion. Let's just think about that before we move on in, in John. Because it's right here. Chapter 3. First thing is gospel proclamation. This conversion of a human soul. What, is it, what does it mean? First off, God works through the proclamation of the gospel. That could be in a salvation track. It could be in a personal Bible study. It could be a, a, on a platform somewhere. It could be in your personal conversations. The point is that it's being proclaimed. The gospel is being proclaimed in your particular context. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Yeah, witnesses. Gospel proclamation. Romans 10, 12 through 17. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing all His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed. And how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's you when you're, you're sitting down and you're having dinner or lunch in your home without someone preaching. And how are they to preach unless you are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So very important that that word, that word going out, that word going out is essential. And God makes it very clear to us. So there's this sovereign regeneration we looked at last week through the word of God. Didn't stress that so much last week, but it's through the Word of God. Somehow, people in the world, someplace, perhaps through you, somehow, people in the world, the, the Word of God is coming through them to them, and God is changing them. He works through the Word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and believe in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. John 3, 3, we've already looked at it. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Acts 16, 13 through 14. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the woman who had come, the women who had come together. 
One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart. So very important. Who does it? My manipulation? Your vigorous words to your friend or family? The Lord, on His sovereign time frame, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. If you're here today and you have it, or you're listening online and you have an open heart to the things of God, praise God because God opened that heart. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. That's a wonderful thing. God opened it. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. All of that is the sovereign regeneration born from above, born again through the Word of God. And then there's our response. Response to the effective call of God. John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. We saw this in the prologue. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 11 through through. Well, so we are called to respond. I have effective call there because we all know the call goes out to all places in the world, all points in the, in the world in various different ways. The gospel goes out, but it, it, not everyone responds. You responded in your time. They responded. She responded. He responded in, in his or her time. But not everyone. Some people walk away and they don't respond. Effective. The effective God, God in His sovereign working. He, he, the call goes out. You tell them about Jesus. The transformation. Forgiveness of sin. The atoning sacrifice on the cross of Jesus. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That they are under the condemnation and wrath of God. And Jesus comes and delivers them out of that. And one day, one hour, boom. After all these years, 10, 15, 20 years, I've been praying for those people for 10 years. On that one day, boom, it was effective. And God converts that soul. Genuine conversion, well, it has to include these inseparable acts of repentance, repentance and faith, repentance and faith. Matthew chapter 11 Verse 28 to 30. Wonderful passage. Just to remind you of it. Come to me. God's call. Come to me. Jesus. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That's a commitment verse. That's a commitment phrase. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke, 
My burden. Jesus says there's going to be a burden. That's, that's, that's why we think about this framework or this conviction. He doesn't say there's no burden, but it's the right kind of burden. It's the burden centered on Jesus. Come to me. He's calling for a personal response. Come to me. Will that be your day? Will that be that person down the street's day? Will that be your day? Come. Will today be your day? Come to me, Jesus is saying. Come to me, and you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. There's some benefit here. I'll give you rest. And then he says, put this yoke. That's what's missing in many places in our country today. Somewhere in the presentation, somewhere in the private conversation, someone has forgotten to say that Jesus says you're going to take a yoke if you want to follow me. You need a yoke. I need a yoke. It's the yoke of Jesus. His character, His flow, His direction, His priorities, His truths. That's a yoke. I feel like I'm fighting here today. I'm fighting... Because everything that you're faced with, everything that you're faced with, all of the philosophies, all of the politics, all of the, e the economics of the world, the pressures of the day, where am I going to go hide? And the yoke of Jesus goes right over our head. And brother and sister, you better have the yoke of Jesus on in the last day. And we're close. So genuine repentance. Abandon sin. Abandon the sin that is keeping you at distance from God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 through 11. Wow, the Apostle Paul. He wrote to these, he wrote to these Corinthians. And then he, he was concerned about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief reproduces repentance. It's a continual attitude that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnest, earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal. The apostle had written to these people and it was a forceful letter that he had sent to them and he wondered, oh, did I step over the edge? Was I too harsh? And then he, and then he says, but it concerned me over grieving you, but it, it grieved you to the point that you repented and came to Jesus. So he grieves no longer. He's happy for it. Acts 20, 20 to 21. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In America today, the repentance part is, well, it's just there. Come to faith in Jesus. 
What about some repentance? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 11, 9 through 11. Such a beautiful passage there about repentance. Personal response, so important for us. Important for us to grasp that picture of God's character in our response to God's character and God's moving. The beautiful thing is, brothers and sisters, you have people that you're concerned about. I do too. Guess what? God's good God. God's powerful God. God works on His time. We, we don't have to question the goodness of the rightness of God and His timing. God moves, as we read in John, like the wind, the Spirit moves in such a way that we can't predict it. But we can call people to receive Jesus, come to Jesus, make that decision for Jesus, make that commitment to Jesus, adopt His framework, the biblical framework, and watch what God does through that. That's what I'm praying for you this week, that you and I have an opportunity to talk to someone about these, these things in your unique and individual, personal, personal way. Anyone listening, if you've not come to Jesus, if you've not put on His yoke, it's a light yoke, but a lot of responsibility. His, his burden is different from the world. It can be difficult. It can be pain with that yoke. But it's a, a yoke that's wrapped in joy. Father in heaven, thank you for this time that you've given us and this beautiful passage you have inspired through the mind and heart devotion of the Apostle John. We thank you for recording it for us so that we can think about it and let it shape us, let us direct our hearts. Thank you, God, for coming into the lives of those in, in this room in a saving way and delivering them from this, this whole condemnation that's already in place. Allowing, allowing us to believe in your name. God, thank you for that. Let's praise you for that. If there's anyone listening that hasn't done it yet, that Lord, come into your name. Pray that you would help them with that this week. As your people go out from here, Lord, I pray for safety and protection and guidance, grace, lots of opportunities to laugh, experience great joy, have fun, this afternoon and have a safe and spirit strengthening week ahead. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.